In the early morning hours of April 15, 2016, a sound rang out that shattered the night's silence like glass. Then again, another loud pop rang out, followed by a deafening silence. Broken again this time by the scream of a frightened baby boy in his crib. In the master bedroom, a locked closet, and inside that closet, the little boy's mother lay lifeless, with blood pooling around her head as it lay on a blood-soaked pillow. Jessica Boynton had been shot in the head, and now her husband, a Griffin, Georgia police officer, was throwing all traffic laws out the window in an effort to rush home. He had received a text from his wife telling him she had been having suicidal thoughts and instructing him to look after their two boys. Last week, we looked into the story through Matthew's account of the events. But this week, we will look at the case from the perspective of the evidence, or lack thereof. I'm your host, Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. On the night of April 14, 2016, the Boyntons had taken a trip to Walmart to pick up baby formula. During this trip, Matthew and Jessica started arguing, and Jessica stormed out of the store. However, just 30 minutes later, the cameras picked up Jessica, entering the store again, and then her, Matthew, and their two boys all left together in Matthew's truck. Interesting to note, in this surveillance footage, Matthew is wearing what appears to be a black shirt with a gray hoodie and blue jeans. More on that later. So the family went back home, and the argument seemed to follow them. Witnesses later stated they heard gunshots around 10.45 p.m. But no police were called, and Matthew's reports of gunshots did not come in until around 2 a.m. However, remember, an officer did come by the residence between 10.50 p.m. and 11 p.m. to take Matthew's domestic violence statement, which we discussed in part one. According to the officer's report, he did not make contact with Jessica or even enter the apartment at that time. He simply took a statement from Matthew, and that's it. Then Matthew says he left and went to Waffle House to meet another officer, Guthrie. However, he received a text from Jessica, you know, the one that I talked about in the intro about suicidal thoughts and all that. He received that text as soon as he arrived at the Waffle House, allegedly. He says he then attempted to call her, with no answer. Then he sent a text, but not to Jessica, before calling emergency services. Matthew had been texting his girlfriend all night, and was lightheartedly joking with her when he received the text from Jessica and saw it fit to text her before calling 911. He then says he headed back to the apartment, and when he ran inside to check on the family, he heard two shots and ran out and never re-entered the apartment until after help arrived. That's just That alone seems crazy to me, that a police officer who heard gunshots inside of his apartment runs inside, but then leaves because he's too afraid. So strange. However, a local reporter looking over the evidence photos noticed something off. Well, actually, quite a few somethings. But firstly, that Matthew's black LG phone, which he had used to call the police and text his girlfriend, was sitting inside the apartment on the kitchen counter. 
The police claim he had set it down by accident when he grabbed his police radio and ran out and then never re-entered. However, the evidence showed while Matthew was waiting for help to arrive, he was sending text messages to the girlfriend. So I should mention that the woman who Matthew was having an affair with was a dispatcher at the sheriff's office. Remember when we talked about Sheriff Beam? Because he's Matthew's grandfather, if you remember correctly, from part one. Okay, so how was it possible that he left his phone inside and ran outside because he, quote, feared for his life and left, left the phone inside, but it still sent and received messages while Matthew was waiting? When this was brought again to the Griffin Police Department, they claimed the phone was just set there to photograph it. They said Matthew was standing outside with it and gave it to an officer to photograph, and that is where they laid it. Okay, plausible. But there's body cam footage. Goddamn footage, right? Gets in the way every time. The reporter who had pointed this out to the police was Sheila Matthews of an independently published newspaper that was local to the Griffin-Spalding area of Georgia. Here's a clip of her phone call with Griffin Police Department in regards to Matthew's cell phone. He actually sent that text message, ha ha, lol, to his girlfriend before he called 911 about his wife's suicide threat. If he's that upset driving 90 miles an hour down Carver Road, how does that correlate with him sending his girlfriend a text message, ha ha, lol, before he calls and asks for EMS to go to his apartment and check on his wife? One o'clock, even on the nose, he sent a text message from his cell phone to Courtney Calloway that says, and I quote, give me a few to text back. Long story, I'll tell you later. What, what is your question, Sheila? I'm of rehashing all this stuff. Okay, and he said that he never re-entered the apartment. Correct. This activity on his cell phone had to have taken place inside the kitchen in his apartment. Now, how do you come to that conclusion? Because if you go to the photographs that are part of your investigative case file, there's a photograph and also the, um, the evidence report for his cell phone. It was retrieved from the kitchen counter in front of the microwave oven. No, it wasn't. It was actually from, from him. We put it on the counter to take a picture of. Based on actual evidence, that was actually a self-inflicted gunshot wound that happened to her. Nothing else Nothing else leads us to believe that anything else happened to her besides her pulling the trigger. Right. How did his phone get in there? Is that what you're saying? How did his phone get in there, and how was there activity on his phone if he was not in the kitchen with his phone? Well, I mean, it could, I, mean I don't know. It could have been simply that... Um, all his, you know, he left his stuff there. His phone was given to someone else at Griffin PD. They put the phone in the thing because they knew GBI wanted it, and that's where we we're going to be while he was taken to the police department. I mean, I'm sure there's a plausible explanation to it without trying to come up with some sort of, you know, theory that, oh, he has to be here in the kitchen answering these text messages, right? Couldn't that be plausible? Like someone from his supervisor, his Lieutenant Keys or something like that, saying, hey, leave all your stuff here. GBI is going to want it, and it's there in the apartment. And I want to ask you someone else, are you recording any of this? Am I recording it? Yes, for, yes. for uh, an article, yes, just to make sure I get quotes proper. Well, listen, you're going, to start, quote, you, you're going to start recording these things. You need to let me know ahead of time before you do, before I'm starting answering questions. Okay. That's the way we're going to play this game, Sheila, if that's what you want to do. You want to start recording me and start quoting me. You better let me know ahead of time, or we're going to have a problem. Ooh, testy, testy they are. Uh, but yeah, Sheila Matthews would become very well known to the officers at the GPD as she was very vocal about the inconsistency in this particular case, along with others in the department, but we'll get to that later. 
So according to police reports and the body cam footage, here is what happened after Matthew called emergency services. The first officer on scene was Officer Trammell, who had been at the apartment earlier for the Boynton's domestic call. He again did not have his body cam, citing a dead battery. Then two officers, Jones and Keyes, arrived right behind Trammell. They exit their vehicles and run across the parking lot. One of them does have a body cam, thank God. Up the apartment stairs, weapons are now drawn, as the call was about a possible active shooter, not a suicide. In these officers' footage, you can see Trammell comforting a distraught Matthew and telling him to stay outside. I played you some of that audio in part one. So here, Matthew is seen wearing a red sweatshirt, and not the gray one he is seen in earlier that night at Walmart. Officer Trammell enters the front door of the apartment, weapon holstered, and makes an immediate left into the master bedroom, checking the handle of the locked closet door. It's in front of the closet door that he finally draws his gun and waits there while the rest of the apartment is swept. So if you missed that, he went inside, into a bedroom, and to a closet door before pulling his gun on an active shooter call. Okay? Let me know if that's uh, any police officers out there. Let me know if that's, uh, you know, if that's par for the course there on an active shooter. I'm pretty sure if there's an active shooter call, you're going to have guns drawn when you enter an apartment. So, after finding Tyler asleep in his bed and little Tallinn screaming but unarmed, unharmed in his crib, the office also unarmed, I guess, you know, uh, but unharmed in his crib, the officers return to the master bedroom. And finally, they decide to kick the closet door in. Officer 1 keeps his gun fixed on the door, while Officer 2 makes only two attempts before the small door breaks loose. The men freeze, and a chill is sent up everyone's neck. Looking down at the floor of the closet, Jessica's feet are seen. She's not moving and appears to be face down. The door is pushed open, and the officers squeeze inside and try to find signs of life. An officer grabs Jessica's arm, and everyone becomes breathless. Jessica weakly groans and tries to pull her arm back. She is still alive. They're shocked, but now they must quickly move to save her. It's interesting to note here that there is no blood splatter in the closet, just blood pulled around Jessica's head on the floor. So they move Jessica from the closet floor into the master bedroom so EMTs can get to her. When she's rolled over, underneath her lays a 40 caliber Glock, which was Matthew's service weapon. It is removed and laid on the kitchen counter to photograph. Jessica is only barely conscious, but struggles against EMT. Her pulse is strong and heart rate holding, but she's losing blood out of the top of her head fast. The paramedics struggle to locate her wound, as Jessica, who is a natural blonde, is now stained completely crimson. Jessica is driven to a nearby fire station where she is airlifted to the hospital in Atlanta. There, she is placed in a medically induced coma, while drains and monitors are placed in her now-shaved head in an attempt to lower the pressure on her brain. The surgeon in Atlanta stated his report, in his report that Jessica's injuries were not consistent with a bullet but instead indicated blunt force trauma and noted no entrance or exit wounds in her head. 
The crime scene at the house showed that two shots had been fired. I know what you're thinking, though, right? Who shoots themselves twice? (laughs) Does that make any sense? Oh, and the angle of the shots showed that Jessica would have had to shoot herself in the top of the head. Also, for suicide to be the cause. Well, Griffin police explained that she shot herself once, and then as she fell, she squeezed the trigger again and shot off the second round by accident. As the second shot was only a few inches off the floor and exited at an upward angle out of the apartment, the shot could have only been fired on or near the floor. The bullet that, quote, hit her using some extreme air quotes right now, broke through the sheetrock and exited the outside wall of the apartment. So now we have a, quote, suicide victim who shot herself in the back of the head but had no gunshot wound, but instead appears to have blunt force trauma to the head. Hmm. So glad everything's adding up here. Matthew, of course, is questioned by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Remember them? They concluded that the, quote, death was a suicide, and cleared Matthew and his department. In the interview, Matthew is eager to assist, offering up his clothes for testing. But of course, no tests were done on his clothes. They were not collected, and his hands were not tested either for gunshot residue. Jessica's hands were not tested, and also her hands appeared pretty clean for someone who had just shot themselves. The only thing on them was a few blood splatters under her thumb. So, inconsistent injuries aside, another key piece of evidence to note in the body cam footage is Jessica's log. She had been secretly keeping a log from Matthew. When police kick the door open, it's the first thing you see. If if you look at the body cam footage, it's the first thing you see laying out on top of the shelf. Inside, though, pages appear to be ripped out and missing. So when Jessica would finally recover from her injuries, she was unable to remember the events of April 15th, 2016. She says, I was in the closet, and then I woke up in the hospital. That's all she remembers. When she was asked about the text that she allegedly sent, uh, sent, Jessica said she would have never typed those things to Matthew. She hated him at the time and would not have just left her kids with him. She says that was just out of the question. She also says, and this, this, this is a hard one for him, she also says she would have never ended with an I love you to Matthew. Harsh. So Jessica was evaluated by a psychologist and determined not to be suicidal or a threat to herself. However, because all the reports that Jessica, because all the reports said that Jessica had attempted suicide, the state removed the boys from Jessica's care and gave them to Matthew. Jessica would go on to make a full recovery, but unfortunately, she still has a gap in place of that fateful night. It appeared Matthew had won. He was still working for the Griffin Police Department. He had a new girlfriend and full custody of his boys. However, four months later, Matthew is arrested. But unfortunately, not for attempted murder, um, but instead obstruction of justice. After recovering and moving out of the apartment, Jessica filed a report with the PD that Matthew was withholding her belongings. Matthew came in and wrote and signed a statement saying he had returned everything he had of Jessica's and that he had nothing of hers. But enter 
another thorn in the Griffin PD's side, Mr. Will Sanders, a local Griffin. Sanders is a full-time truck driver who has an interesting hobby. In his free time, Sanders is, well, let's just call him an independent fact-checker for the uh, PD there in Griffin. He gathers, collects, and compares cases and their evidence. When he finds an inconsistency, he brings it to their attention. I'm sure they love that. And Mr. Sanders was following Jessica Boynton's case from the day it broke. And after she recovered, he made contact with her. Somehow, Sanders was able to recover the belongings that Jessica reported Matthew was withholding. He immediately takes it to the police station and turns it in. And Matthew is brought back in for questioning. So, allegedly, what she was missing was a gym bag. A red Georgia Bulldogs gym bag that had a bunch of personal things in there of Jessica's, um, including clothes and, and her retainers as well for her teeth, uh, if you're not familiar. So, now that the police have Jessica's bag in their possession... It's time to bring Matthew back in for questioning. So Jessica came in. She filed a report. Um, okay. I talked to you about it. Uh, you wrote a statement saying you didn't have any of her items. Um, right. The report specifically said her retainer and stuff like that and clothes. Okay. Um, do you know anything about where her clothes or retainer might have been? Like I told her before, the only thing that we might have had would have been in that white trailer, and my stepdad has not mentioned anything else being in there. And we gave everything back that we had. Cause she had put some stuff in like a uh, it's like a little split chase thing. Got mm -hmm. up, it's got two little boxes. I think we used to use it for like diapers and stuff. Now, but I mean, everything that she had that I knew of was gone. I got rid of everything I knew of. Get rid of a house, so. yeah, either give back to her or her family came back and got it. You know, like she had a big kitchen table and some other stuff that her aunt Kathy and Uncle Tim come and got. Um, just different. I think my stepdad actually took a whole bunch of stuff over to her grandparents' house at 2464 East Milner mm -hmm. in Pike, which is like right by my parents' house. Okay. So when did you move to Louisiana? Uh, that would be sometime in March. March? Mm -hmm. uh, through the course of that move, did you find anything that belonged to her at that no. point? No, because if I would have, I would have turned it over to her because I have no need to keep her stuff. What they had at that point was that computer, and me and you had talked about that and gave it back to her. Because mm -hmm. she could let her and talk to Bird. Okay. So. Do you recognize that bag? Yes, yeah, that bag that Jessica let me use to put all my gym stuff in when we used to be together. Okay. So, when's the last time you saw that bag? Uh, it's been a long time. Like I said, I, when I used to work out at, um, there's two gyms in Thomaston. I don't remember the name of it. I used that one, and I had a uh, gray Nike bag I used to work out in. Um, so I interchanged my stuff like protein drinks, um, powder shakes, like pre-workout, uh, workout shorts, pants, shoes, whatever. I put it in that bag or my Nike bag. So when's the last time you saw that bag? I mean, it's been a while. I don't, I don't know an exact date. I don't know. Um, I think my stepdad, he he had it in the I think the white trailer, and that that's been a while. And he brought it, but I haven't been through it or anything. Um, he put it in my storage, put it in my storage thing in my house, which is like when you pull in the driveway. Mm -hmm. 
It's a little storage thing on the right. You open the door and it's got all my stuff in there. I had to clean that, some of it out recently. That was tossed in there, but I mean, it's in there with a bunch of my stuff, like a brown tub. I used to keep my old patrol car with gym mm -hmm. stuff in it and work stuff. Would so, that be the utility room, my carport room at your new house? Yeah. Yeah, that's where I keep, like, or I, well, I keep stuff in that, and I keep stuff in, like, what's considered an office and left the back of my house. Mm -hmm. so, I just tossed it there for the rest of my job. <clears throat> but it's just old gym bag. storage room in the, in the garage. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, why would I be holding a picture of this bag? I guess because Jessica brought it into you. Why would Jessica have it if you had it at your house? Um, I don't know. I guess somebody got it from my garage <clears> or my shed. <throat> Who would have gotten it? Um, there's a couple of people. Okay. I don't know. All right. Exactly who. Okay. And inside that bag, there were numerous contents inside of it. And one of those is this right here. You know what this is? It's like Jessica's old retainer thing. Mm -hmm. She had them wear together. Right. The bag was completely filled with female clothes. And this is one photo of it. That's not yours. No. It's not. All right? No, sir. Okay. That's not yours. No, sir. Right? Yes, sir. Okay. Who does that belong to? This guy, Jessica's name. wants to be Jessica's retainer thing. <sighs> if it was in that, if it was in this right here, where would that have been at? I had all of her stuff in it. In my, what would it have been at? It would have been in my the garage thing, like I said. Which is where? Which is at my house. Which is at your house. Yes, sir. Did you buy that for Jessica? I don't recall. I don't think I did. Because she had... I think her grandparents did. Because she had retainers before she met you, right? Before y'all got married, right? I believe so. So that would make it whose property? Uh, hers. Not yours, right? Right. Yes, sir. Whose bag is that? Uh, Jessica's. And the contents in the bag? And it's got all her stuff in it. So why would you not have brought that to us when you noticed, when you saw the bag at moving? Sarge, I promise I've not been through that bag. The last time I used Matthew, that bag I was I didn't ask you that, Matthew. Listen to me, buddy. 
I understand what you're saying, it's just because I should have brought it up here. You know, Next all time. things, and I don't know anything about your other issue, but all things involved in reference to this case, all the going around, the statement that you wrote, where's the statement at? The statement that you wrote. You said a statement. I didn't read the statement said, what did it say? It's just very brief. I gave Jessica a property like I gave her a computer and everything. Right. Yes, sir. Whose is this bag? It's Jessica's. I just I didn't think, think about it because I used it as a gym bag and she let me use it. I understand what you're saying. Matthew, a police officer. Yes, sir. I understand. You're a police officer, Matthew. You know we are held to a higher standard than anybody else. I understand. You know people don't 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 expect us to make mistakes, and they don't realize we're human. I understand that. Yes, you sir. understand that. I shouldn't have swore about You work out a lot, don't you? You stay in shape. You're in good shape, right? Try to. Not sure how that last part was relevant there, but, you know, at least we know Matthew stays in good shape. Um, but even though Matt was kind of caught dead in the water there, kind of caught red-handed, uh, unfortunately, the DA's office had let Jessica know that one of the felony charges against Matthew may be dropped, or all of them, uh, because they had spent six months trying to find his oath of office, and they could not. Violation of his oath of office cannot be located. Therefore, his oath was worthless. So reporter Sheila Matthews, remember Sheila? She files an open records request at the magistrate court and receives uh, Matt's oath of office that very day. So the very next day, the police department let the DA's office know that they had found the oath of office. But when the trial went to grand jury, they decided all charges would be dropped, although he admitted he knew he had the bag the whole time. Matthew was fired from the Griffin Police Department, but got a job as an officer just four months later. And as far as I can tell, is still a cop to this day. When Sheriff Beam was eventually voted out of office, you know, his grandpa, uh, in 2017 and the new sheriff entered his office, there were nine industrial-sized trash bags filled with shredded paper left for the new sheriff from Mr. Beam. The Griffin Police Department had been in a lot of trouble at the time, dealing with the Boynton's case and a sex scandal cover-up that involved a high-ranking officer and female officers. Beam was accused of attempting to keep the case from the media and fabricating evidence. The Griffin Police were in the national media's attention again, recently as a video went viral of an officer using excessive force during a traffic stop. The case was reviewed by the trusty and always honest Georgia Bureau of Investigation and determined the officer was within his means and no wrongdoing occurred. But just pointing out, though, that an officer in the video is seen with his knee on the man's neck, holding him on the pavement when the man is fully cooperating. That sounds familiar, huh? The officer claims that the man tried to run, and that is when the officer got forceful. 
However, his body cam stopped recording just seconds before the incident occurred, which is quite convenient. But on the other hand, a passenger in the car was able to catch the incident starting after uh, the, quote, attempted fleeing. And also, obviously, after the body cam broke or stopped working or whatever happened there. So we may never know what actually led up to that event. But still, the footage is still very telling in itself. It seems like excessive force to me, but then again, there's a blank spot in the film, like there always seems to be. So, back to Matthew and Jessica here. So Matthew and Jessica's divorce was finalized in March of 2017. Matthew lost custody of the boys after one of them stated to their mother that Matthew, quote, hurt him. An investigation was done by child services and is determined that the kids should stay with Jessica. Although Matthew has tried his best to contest it, the two eventually agreed on joint custody. Jessica and the boys have now moved on and live with Jessica's fiancé and their new baby brother. Jessica went back to her maiden name of Jessica Lester and hopes to one day know the truth about what happened to her that fateful night. But until then, we can only guess. We can only assume. We can only listen to the Lorne synopsis. I forgot about that. That's what we'll do. We'll listen to Lorne's synopsis. I'm sure he'll clear all this up for us, and we'll leave just feeling so much better about this case and what happened. Right? All right, guys. I'll see you on the other side. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here. I'm here to get my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained, the case of Jessica Boynton, who on April 15th in 2016 in the town of Griffin, Georgia, had apparently committed suicide using a 40 caliber Glock, which was the service weapon of her husband, Matthew Boynton, who was a police officer in Griffin, Georgia, his grandfather being the sheriff of the county in Spalding. Um, now, he got a text from his wife, Jessica, at around one in the morning when he was on his way to Waffle House with his friend. He, well, he was going to meet a friend who was a fellow police officer at Waffle House for dinner at one in the morning. A little bit odd, especially when you consider the prior events. He'd been fighting on and on with his wife pretty severely that day. Um, they'd been seen at Walmart on camera footage. The police had been called earlier that evening um, at the Walmart. She wouldn't get in the truck um and and ride back with them they they this was common i guess with them they were always fighting they were uh said to be getting divorced soon she was going to be leaving the apartment she had her stuff packed jessica did with her two boys they were going to be leaving um there'd been a lot of uh extramarital stuff going on jessica was not uh innocent in that part either actually one of the two boys was from uh, uh an event she had where she had cheated on him um that being said she was going to find a venue for their upcoming marriage when that occurred, and he refused to go. 
and then her car breaks down in a weird twist of fate. She gets help from a guy who they ends up they end up hooking up and they have a kid. And not long before this event, Matthew had actually found out that one of the two boys was not his. Makes me wonder if that played into what then happened. So he calls 911 after receiving a text from Jessica that she was uh, she had been having suicidal thought for a while. I say thought because that's how it was worded, and she later says, spoiler alert, she's still alive. Um, she later says that she would not word a text the way that this text was worded. Um, but nonetheless, he gets a text from her supposedly that she's you know having suicidal thoughts, take care of the boys. Um, he calls the police, and, and when you hear the recording of his call to dispatch, uh, I guess he didn't call police. He just called dispatch on his own radio because he's a cop. So, um, but it's very, it's eerily calm how he calls and, and it's just kind of like, then again, they've been fighting a lot, but this is different than the fights they've been having. She's never done anything like this where, you know, she alludes that she's going to kill herself while their two boys are in the home. You would think I would be fucking, I know I would be frantic. I have two kids with my wife. If she sent me a text like that and I knew my kids were at home and, she was going to, you know, potentially do something. I would be freaking out on the phone when I was calling dispatch or the police or whatever. He was eerily calm. He beats the police to the apartment. When they get there, he's already there in street clothes, um, different clothes than he was wearing at Walmart, by the way. Um, he, you know, they get in the house or the apartment, and they find the both boys are okay. The the younger boy, the the infant, is crying. The older boy is asleep in his room. The closet door is locked. Um, he tells them that he tells the police officers there that he'd been in that the, the closet was locked and he f- freaked out and left. Um, they tell him to wait outside. They then proceed to kick down the uh, closet door and they find Jessica lying there, her head between two pillows. Her there was a lot of blood apparently, a lot of blood on her head. Her hair was matted with blood. It did appear as though she had shot herself. The gun was found underneath her. It was his service weapon, the 40 caliber. However, they were seeing signs that she was alive. She had actually good vitals. She was breathing. She had good blood pressure. Um, she was alive. Um, she was not responsive in- initially. However, she was later fighting with EMS, apparently, after they'd taken her out on a stretcher. And at this point, Matthew was freaking out outside putting on his best routine very this this whole this whole thing there's a lot of body camera camera footage and it's so reminiscent of Chris Watts his behavior is all over the place he goes from frantic crying and I should have been I should have been able to stop her and this and that to like two seconds later he's talking normal and he's over explaining the shit out of everything which is so typical of someone who's lying um this guy's a piece of shit he attempted to kill his wife in my opinion to cut to the chase here um she ends up being deemed a suicide, being dead, being presumed dead by the p- local police in Griffin. And, you know, I'm sure old Matt's uh, grandfather there, uh, who's the sheriff of the county, didn't have anything to do with that. Uh, it was, she was actually, you know, there was a news thing put out that she was dead, that she had killed herself. Meanwhile, she's at the hospital and the doctors at the hospital are working on her and they're saying, we're not finding a bullet. She doesn't appear to have been shot. Um, she does have a wound on the top of her head where as if, you know, so and people ever shoot themselves on the top of the fucking head. Whoever, who's ever committed suicide by shooting themselves on the top of the head? 
And let me tell you this, if you take a 40 caliber Glock and you put it to the top of your head and you pull the trigger, you're going to die 100% of the time. I'm sorry, but it's, that's a large caliber weapon. It's going to penetrate your skull. It's going to obliterate your brain. You will die. She did not put a Glock to the top of her head and pull the trigger. She just didn't. Um, people don't really do that. And when you find out so many details later, so the police then went and talked to neighbors. They talked to a good friend of Jessica who said she was like a sister to her and had been helping her through a lot of these problems. She knew about all the stuff that was going on. She knew that Matt Matthew was cheating. It comes out that he was cheating with a, um, with a dispatcher um, in a nearby police station, um, only a mile from his. Um, and they'd been on and off and Jessica knew about this. She'd been keeping records for their upcoming divorce. Um, this was all coming to a head, and she had packed up her stuff. And later, Matthew, um, after all, he gets custody of the kids. Uh, it, it's just amazing, the cover-up by the police here. Um, the fact that you know they deemed her dead, and it was a suicide. And then she's, she's alive. She makes a full recovery, miraculously. Um, I, I think she'd been beaten over the head with something. And two shots were fired into the closet. That is known. But one was shot in an upward direction, which is odd. It seemed like there was some sort of a fight that happened in that closet. To me, that's she says it's the last thing she can remember is that they had gone to Walmart. They'd come back home. She was going to take the dog out for a walk. The dog had a freaking leash on when the police showed up. You can see footage of their body camera footage. The dog has a leash on that corroborates her story of she says she put the leash on the dog. She went to the closet to get her shoes because she was going to take the dog out for a walk. And that's what the last thing she can remember, because that's when Matthew, in my opinion, attacked her. I think he was going to kill her. I think she struggled with him with the gun. The gun shot off. That's how the gun uh, was fired up into the top of the closet. And there was another shot into the floor. I think it's possible he thought he killed her, but he didn't actually shoot her. Um, he missed. I think the second shot was meant to, to kill her but it didn't actually hit her. And I don't know what happened, how the wound on the top of her head got there. It was pretty serious. Now, is, is there maybe a fluke, fluke thing happened where the bullet grazed the top of her head and, and uh, reflected off? Because, I mean, she s suffered some severe damage. I mean, there was brain swelling. They had to relieve the pressure from her, from her skull and stuff of the, brain, of the swelling. It's possible that bullet either ricocheted off something and hit her in the head. Um, but I, I just find it hard to believe that the gun was put to the top of her head and, and fired or else she'd definitely be dead. So he gets custody for a while, and she does a brilliant thing um, in filing a report for her missing things that he said that he didn't have. That stuff's then found by his current girlfriend at the time, turned, uh, turned into a guy who was like the local wannabe cop. He turned it into the police. Matthew was then finally, you know, put pressure on by the local police because they just kind of let him skate by this whole time. The, the, whole, the, the fact that they never tested his clothing, even though he had changed clearly and he said he was wearing the same clothes he'd been wearing, when you can tell that he's wearing completely different stuff at Walmart than he was when the police show up um, to his residence that evening. So he had changed his clothes. He had ditched those clothes. Um, but the bag of clothes that Jessica reports missing and it's got like her – um, retainer in it and stuff like that. It's clearly her stuff. He's in possession of it much later after lying about not having it and whatnot. Um, that gets him in trouble. He resigns. And then, of course, he gets hired by another fucking police station because that's how this shit goes. It's incredible. Um, he's a guy that abused, abused his position. It sounds like he was a terrible cop that just went around um, being 
being a dick, arresting everybody for every little infraction. He was the Dwight Schrute of local police, the type of guy that gives cops a bad name. I hate people that abuse their position of power. I hate it, and I think they should be uh, punished e- even more so than the average person because they're 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 supposed to have a higher standard. You know, like when you see these child psychologists that uh, that sexually abuse children, they should be they should have the book thrown at them. They should be locked away forever. You know, you're you're in a position of power, and in tr- and people should be able to trust you. But thankfully, Jessica got her kids back. He's been exposed for what he is, but he's still justice has not been served. I went and signed the petition at change.org to get the FBI involved in this and get true justice because how can she even live and feel comfortable with him out there on the street? Him being a police officer in another county or another city? Like, are you, are you kidding me? I don't, I don't know if he still is a police officer. I heard he was hired by another police station. But the fact that he's even walking the streets after attempting to kill his wife and getting away with it, um, and it sounds like he was also abusing his children as well. Now that played into her getting full custody of her kids. Thank God, those two boys are so much better off with their mom, who truly you can tell cares about them. But man, I could go on and on. This is a crazy case. I hope you guys enjoyed my take on it. He's a piece of shit scumbag that needs to be in jail. That's just my opinion. Um, I think there's plenty of evidence that supports the fact that he did this and she did not try to commit it. Who is going to, who puts a leash on their dog to take him out for a walk and then says, you know what, I'm just going to shoot myself instead. It was totally out of character for her. She didn't like guns. If she was going to kill herself, which no one, no one that ever knew her, she was someone that had a lot of, a lot of struggles. You know, she was, um, her, her mom left her when she was a little baby. She was taken in by her grandparents who had adopted their, her mom, um, and then she got into this relationship with this douchebag when she was a teenager and he had just a reign of terror over her forever before trying to kill her. But yet this whole time she had all these problems and fights with Matthew and all this stuff was going on in her life, but she always kept a positive attitude that things were going to get better. That's one thing that everybody said about her. She was not the type of person that would attempt to commit suicide. No one thinks that. And if she were, she wouldn't have tried to put a Glock to the top of her head. It's, it's absurd. And there was no bullets ever found. So it's just, it's, it's crazy to me that the cops were even, the police were even able to pull this off, that they were able to even cover this up for as long as they did. And they need to be ousted. I know that sheriff got, uh, someone else got elected in his place, thank God. Um, so Matthew's, Matthew's uh, grandfather, who was the sheriff, is gone. Um, and hopefully things have cleaned up in that, that town in Georgia. So... Yeah, that's my thoughts. Uh, a little long-winded, but it's uh, it's a two-parter, so I had to catch up from last week, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed it. See you next time. Yep, sounds like he has a pretty good handle on it. What do you guys think? I, I would, I'm never disappointed in the synopsis. I don't know about you guys. Also, excited to find out how uh, the private investigator got the bag in the first place. Lorne, thank you, Lorne, with the answers. What did I tell you guys? So Matthew's new girlfriend gave the bag over, which makes sense. At first I thought, why would she do that? But it's because uh, it's his ex-wife's shit. Like, your, your, your new fling doesn't want your ex's stuff around. I don't care who you are. I don't care how bad of a person that you think that she or he is or whatever. I mean, you don't want the ex's stuff around if you're the new thing, Right. So that makes perfect sense. And the and the uh, the PI probably came up to her and you know gave her some load of shit like, 
he was recovering it for Jessica or something like that. But however he found it, pretty freaking dope. Um, also didn't know that Jessica was in about to walk her dog. That's interesting note as well. That's a great point. That's one of my favorite lines from the synopsis. You don't, you don't put a leash on your dog and then shoot yourself. <laughs> right? I think anybody that loves, that enjoys spending time with their dog, I mean, it'd be hard to shoot yourself. Your dog would be so distraught as well. Um, but yeah, guys. So that is the strange case of um, Matthew and Jessica Boynton. This is a long way from over, something tells me. Uh, I just don't think... Well, you know, I, I say that, but then as I, as I start to think about it, the fact that she didn't die, the fact that it could just be an assault, maybe both parties kind of let it go. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if I was Jessica, I would not. This is, this is an atrocity. Like, this is, this is disgusting that this even happened. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I kind of get a all's well that ends well feel from this case. I feel like a, a, a lot of these the people involved are just going to kind of carry on. You know, the, his grandfather has done resigned. Um, Matthew's left the force. Jessica's moved on, started a new family. Why would she want to bring this shit up? So unfortunately, it looks like to me like uh, Matthew assaulted her and got completely away with it. So sometimes justice is not served, guys. Sometimes justice is not served. Um, but that's just, that's life. That's the unfair world that we live in. So um, I want to take a minute to thank everyone who listens and supports this show every week. You guys mean the world to me. Please reach out on social media at S&U Podcast, um, on Instagram, on Twitter, um, or Strange and Unexplained on Facebook. If you guys want to go and give me a like or a follow there, I appreciate it very much. Um, and anything you do to spread awareness about the show, tell your friends, family members, whatever it is, thank you very, very much, guys. A great way to support the show is patreon.com slash podcast. Uh, for just three bucks a month, you guys can get early access to every episode released on Thursdays and also access to other uh, bonus shows that I do, like Strange Shorts or The Palette Cleanser. Um, so this week, I want to give a shout-out to a few new patrons that we have. I want to give a big thank you to Miranda H., Jen Bush, and Camilla Hernandez. Thank you so much. Or Camilla Hernandez, I'm so sorry. Uh, thank you guys so much for supporting the show. You guys don't know how much that means to me. The Patreon is the main way to drive this podcast. Um, so thank you guys so much. Also, another great way to help the show is to leave a review. You can do that anywhere you listen. Well, almost anywhere you listen. iTunes would be the most ideal. Um, leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcast or Stitcher. Uh, Podcast Addict, if you're on Android, great platform to listen to podcasts. That's what I use, Podcast Addict. Uh, highly recommend it. Spotify, of course, but can't leave reviews. Um, but honestly, guys, downloads and subscriptions are what grows a show. Okay? So don't have to leave a review, but, you know, it's hard for, it's, it's hard for uh, podcasters to gauge 
what works and what doesn't without reviews. That's what I like to look at reviews for. I like to see things that re reoccur, you know? If, if they like a certain thing, then I like to put more of that in there. If I, if I get a lot of hate on something, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll work on that. You know what I'm saying? Depends, depends. But guys, I wanna thank you, as always, for listening, for sticking this out. I know part one was short. Um, I thought they would be a little more evenly matched than this. Uh, but that's okay. We brought you a banger for part two uh, with all the evidence and plus one of the best Lauren synopsises I've ever heard. Uh, so there you go. Are you not entertained? As Lauren likes to say. Uh, from the Gladiator, I think. Right? Gladiator with Kurt Russell. I think that's what that's from. It's been a while. Anyways, guys, I will see you next week with a new strange and unexplained case. So remember, be strange. Just don't be a strange.